Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman yes. way, the newest book in the wise woman herbal theory. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public. On appointment-only basis, she offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses. TheWiseWomanSchool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course. WiseWomanSchool.com. You can also just go to her website, SusanWeed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? I am standing on a chair, breaking some apple rings off of the string they have been drying on next to the wood stove. Here you go, Justine. Justine gets an apple slice. 
And here you go, Monica Jean. Has an apple slice for you. Yeah, you know they did a study about uh, apples' ability to prevent breast cancer, and it was interesting that women who ate fresh apples or who drank apple juice didn't seem to get any protection, but women who ate dried apples or apple sauce got protection against breast cancer. Mm, that applesauce I made is going to pay off for everyone that I've been giving it to. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. I used your method, and it turned out really good. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have the apple, I have, um, apple core, which takes the core out of the apple, and then I slice them up into rings and string them up by the wood stove. I learned to string them up way up high so the mice can't get to them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I dip them in uh, lemon juice, slice the apples, mm-hmm. dip them in lemon juice, and they dry really, really nicely. The lemon Does it juice take them quite a while to color. dry like that? Yeah, just like that. Uh, just string them up and dry them. Does it take a while for them to dry like that? Well, you have your oh, wood stove yeah. going, so, yeah. Yeah, well, it dep- right, depends on when we start the wood stove. Mm-hmm. But these have been up there, oh, I guess for about a month. Mhm. Yeah. Nice. Wow. Mhm. So I bet true. they are flavorful. Mhm. Mm. The best. What are you up to? Um. Well, today my son and I we made some muffins and we've just been kind of hanging out. He's been liking my sound healing instruments, so we did a little bit of that today. And I just have my one son because uh, my their dad wanted to have some alone time with my older son, so that that was a nice change just to have the one child to focus on. <laughs> yes. And, um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, and... always felt, I always felt, both during and after my childhood, that the largest suffering that I had from my childhood was that my parents were so determined to treat us equally. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't work for me to be treated equally. What do you mean by that? Like that you well, needed special attention or not no. so much? <laughs> no, but that... I wanted to be seen as an individual, Hmm. not as Mm -hmm. the equivalent of something else. There was a point in which I asked my parents for a small loan. It was probably like $2,000, I think, to buy tires for the car. And they said, while they would be happy to do that, they couldn't afford it. And I said, I was pretty sure they could afford it. They said, well, actually, they could but they couldn't afford $6,000. And I said, well, I wasn't asking for $6,000. They said, yes, but if we lend you $2,000, then we have to lend your brother and your sister $2,000 too. Hmm. So I applaud your spending alone time with your younger son and Letting him be one instead of one of two. Yeah, it's amazing how different they are and how, like, they both uh, need just very individual things, you know. So they get very frustrated with each other because they don't 
always, you know, show like, yeah, they just get frustrated because they show up in different ways and we recognize that they need that, that time with us. So we are working on that, always working on doing better in the parenting. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's, it's always a moving target. You know? Yeah, exactly. Always a moving target because, of course, the child is born with very strong personality traits. Anyone who has more than one child can tell you this. If you have one child, it could convince yourself, you know, that you are making, that you are influencing your child. But once you have more than one, you go, oh, I see. It hardly has anything to do with me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and however, the things in your child's personality are, of course, especially selected by the universe to trigger you. <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't, I mean... Everybody in our lives are our teachers, and I mean, just even I, I was I've been reflecting on this a lot this past week for our conversation from our conversation last week of like just what just you're an amazing teacher, you know. Like I would learn so much, like even not agreeing with you, you know, that I really get to think on where my perspective is coming from and what it means, and you know, and um. Thank you, Rebecca. I'm very, very honored. Yeah, Justine was telling me that Paul Bergner, um, and this is secondhand, I haven't read it directly, but that Paul Bergner was very upset um, that the community um, of alternative, of herbalists, was not uh, more wholeheartedly behind the COVID vaccine. Mm -hmm. Or let's say not wholeheartedly at all. Mhm. And um Yeah, there's a lot of questioning going on. And I think that that um what I certainly don't mind questioning, but what I don't see is an equal amount of hallelujah. Mhm. It usually takes about 10 years from a new viral infection making itself known in the human population for us to be able to figure out how to make a vaccine against it. We've done this in really just under a year. It's a phenomenal accomplishment for all of humanity because it means that an enormous number of people work together. It's one of the things that we do really well is work together. And I am always just just floored by how well we work together, and we don't shove the drones out of the nest as winter comes on either. Uh We keep them around and we feed them. So we've done this, and in order to do it, we had to create a whole new way. You know, where did vaccinations get started? They got started with somebody noticing that milkmaids who often got cowpox didn't get smallpox. Right, I read that. And doing something that really made people, you know, tear their hair and beat their breasts and cry out an alarm, which was he was scratching people's arms and rubbing pus from a pox into the wound. And, you know, truth to tell, Rebecca, We haven't progressed much at all, right? What's the flu vaccine? The flu vaccine is 
well, we don't like mm, cut the arm anymore, but we do inject it with syringe. And it's not like the stuff from the the pustule anymore, but it's the viral infection itself grown right in an egg. So we really, it's like we've been doing the same thing for over 100 years, and it works pretty well. But in order to make this vaccine, we had to, like, totally rethink the whole thing from the ground up. And again, that is one thing that I see that not just human beings, but Americans do. Mm-hmm. And that that American way of thinking, what's a new way to do this? How can we not be trapped by what our ancestors did and what history tells us has to be done? How can we do something new? And the other peoples of the world who have taken up that American idea and all working together to literally create a whole new way to make a vaccine, not from the actual stuff itself, but from the protein that coats it. Now, to me, I am just, just can't even express the joy and the delight that we have the tools and the wherewithal to recognize the protein coat around the DNA of the virus and to put that in the body rather than the virus so that the body then recognizes and destroys the protein coat, which then leaves the virus open and available to the immune system. It's so elegant. And going through the cytoplasm, is that something that most vaccines do, or is that a new technology? That's how the flu flu infects you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So there are always things that we don't see and we don't understand when we take a step forward. Mm-hmm. And yet we, because we're humans, we take that step forward. And we always will. Well, there are a lot of people speaking out on it and, like, saying, you know, various things. And so, you know, like, just listening to, like, saying, you you know. What do you mean a lot? How many many doses now have been given out? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not following that. Uh It's in the millions. Mm -hmm. So are we talking about millions of people who are speaking out? Are we talking about a couple who are Mm -hmm. then being parroted all over the place? Mm-hmm. That's not a lot, Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that there's a lot of concerns. There's, so. there's a, three people that I've seen who have some pretty severe misinformation who are spreading it around because they have initials after their names. Mm-hmm. And then I see this being repeated, you know, in many, many places. But that doesn't make it a lot of people. Mm-hmm. What I see is a huge general acceptance and a huge uplifting of spirits and hearts and a great thank you to all of the people who worked so 
hard to bring this to fruition and so quickly. Who didn't hold back and say, oh dear, we might make a mistake. Oh dear, we might get it wrong. Oh dear, it might not be perfect. But who said we're going to go ahead, though it might be wrong, though it might not be perfect. Because again, to me, that is the very best of being a human. Mm-hmm. Well, without arguing about it, I'm just gonna humbly just say, you know, it's not it's not something that I'm interested in, and I would hope that you know, if people That's have a reluctance to it, then, I'm not interested yeah. in many things. Right. But that doesn't make those things wrong or nefarious. Well, I mean. <laughs> It's just a message that I get, like, from an internal, like, instinctual knowing. I don't think it's out of paranoia or fear. I think it's, like, there's a lot of stuff let, going let, on Let me in the be clear just right for now, one moment, because it is a hobby horse of mine. Like an instinct is something you are born with. Hmm? An instinct is something you are born with. Mm-hmm. So an instinct is, my friend Yvette, hatched a duck egg. The duck has an instinct to imprint on the first being that it sees and to find forevermore that to be its mother. Mm-hmm. And it ha- cannot in any way override its instinct. It can't get new information and not follow its instinct. So you don't have an instinctual knowing. You have a patterned, conditioned belief system of knowing. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But any time you want to challenge that belief system or undo that pattern, as a human being, you can. Because it's not an instinct. We can unlearn racism, can't we? I'm, well, I'm just concerned. Because I think the nanotechnology, the nanoparticles, there are like all of these who things that our body has never been that, introduced to before, is, is something that like instinctually causes way alarm. Of being. And it's we're something that teaching alarm. ourselves not to be that way. Correct. And, um, yeah. And who knows what that's going to program our bodies to do, you know? Like, I mean, it is a Life programming. Life like, programs it's your body and your brain. Everything you speak, everything you say, everything you think. Programs you, so Rebecca. Do I, do I want I my RNA to be, look at your program, to be affected in that how way? How paranoid and unhappy it is, and look at my program and how joyous it is. And I won't say any more. I want to talk about Anna Lups, who's going to be our guest at 9 o'clock. Anna Lups is a practitioner, um, anthroposophic MD, who lives in the area where I live. I'm only about half an hour away, and I've known her for. For a very, very long time, as a matter of fact, Astrid and I, in looking over notes for the the continuation of the Wise Woman Nervous for the Childbearing Year that we're working on, um, found some notes that I had written about Anna about 35 years ago. But um, it wasn't until I was personally challenged that I sought her out and made the drive up to her farm. And I consider Anna Lups one of the people who truly saved my life. Because she did for me what I do for so many other people, which is to say, that's a pattern and condition belief, Susan. And you can change your mind if you want to. You do not have to cling 
to the belief that you have. And every excuse that I threw up, she shot down. And it made me so angry and it made me so sad. And I'm alive today because she took the time and was courageous enough to do that. She's an amazing woman. She is my elder. And I am privileged that she's agreed to come on the show tonight and to talk to us about um, how the difference that, that she sees um, between holistic medicine and all other kinds of medicine and what natural science is and how we can use disease um, as something that propels us rather than something that drags us down. So I'm really excited about that. That's at 9 o'clock East Coast time. Stay with us or come back. All right. And Do I did just want people? to say one one more sure. thing. Yeah, we have one caller waiting. And um, it was just a, I, the responses that I've got from people, people have been writing me and just about our conversation last week and people aren't hearing me as being paranoid there it is inspiring for them to like be able to speak their truth and like you know like that I'm speaking that to you and not you know like holding it back because we do have a different belief on this so it's you know and it's a a controversial topic a belief is not a truth Rebecca a belief is a belief you cannot speak Truth, if you're speaking well, belief. I believe that yours is a belief. Uh, because you can I don't believe think you know anything you want to believe, Rebecca, That's and in no way am I interfering with you, but you can't call it truth. Well, I didn't, you know. It's your belief. Like, that's it. It's your belief. It's not that's truth. That's what I said. The speed of light is truth. And, it's not well, a belief. I mean, yeah, no, it's my truth. I'm speaking my truth. <laughs> you can't call it your truth. It's your belief. That's the problem. I right can call here. it whatever I want to. Actually. Call it whatever you want, but by calling it your truth, yeah. you impede any possibility of change because it's not truth. And I'm not saying that what I'm saying is true. I'm saying that these are beliefs, and I just gave you an example of how I was challenged with my belief. Mm-hmm. And I was able to move into my life in an entirely different way because instead of grinding my heels in and saying, it's my truth, I said, I understand it's my belief and it can change. And Mm -hmm. every teacher of any worth that I've ever had has told me that. It's not your truth, Susan. It's your belief. Okay. Believe anything you want, but don't call it truth. There are people who believe that the earth is flat. They're welcome to believe it. But it's not the truth. There are people who believe that the earth is balanced on the back of a turtle, which is on the back of a turtle, on the back of a bigger turtle and bigger turtle. And how wonderful that they can believe that. What an amazing thing to believe, but it's not the truth. All right, well, let's go to the callers. Um, If you have a question for Susan, make sure to press 1 to speak with her. And the first caller is coming from the 845 area code. Here I am, Susan. Hey, how are you now? Yeah, it's interesting that every time I call, 
lots of things that are applicable to myself, I hear in advance. And I I am very pleased about that. But let's, it's like that, first isn't it? Well, I am very grateful. I can't forget that I feel a lot better, even though I will bring some programs, uh, program, uh, problems to uh, question you about. But I, I stopped taking medication, and I stopped even taking the baby aspirin, and I feel a lot better. I feel better not being dizzy, not being drowsy, and not being depressed. And the difference is enormous. And, of course, I'm not fully healthy. Um, I do take the, the usual herbal tinctures and the infusions. I, I do what you tell me to do. And together with that, I am extremely weak, even though I am moving around but I'm moving comfortably between my bed, my bathroom, and the, my kitchen. If I go out, if I go to the gym, I am comfortable walking at the lowest pace for 15 minutes, and then I sit down at the leg press and I press for 10 minutes the, the lightest way possible just to lose my joints to... to just to move, and then I take a little break, and then I go and I do another 15 minutes, and after that, I go home, and I feel as if I climbed the Everest and fall asleep for three hours. Uh, I feel weak, but I do move. i definitely not interested in any highly aerobic activity. I realize that, of course, I could move more than I am moving, and I have enormous resistance in taking care of myself. It is a full-time job. Along with that, I realize that I am extremely upset that I am carrying patterns and beliefs from a very young age, and in spite of all the enormous amount of introspection and self-search, I do not manage to separate from them. And I wonder, what is my investment in holding on so tight to something that does not apply in my life today at the age of 78? Mm. Mentally, I realize that it can be let go. Emotionally, is not happening, and that's why I have tremendous resistance in everything I do. Writing, music, dancing, exercise, cooking, I don't have a lot of resistance because I like to eat, but I don't like it. I don't like to cook. And that's my speech for today. You know, what I think about this is that one of the really important things involved in what you're talking about is that we don't want to betray ourselves. 
And if we have called our belief our truth for a very long time, and then we suddenly acknowledge that it's a belief and that we can change it, it feels like a betrayal. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Also other aspects. And it's the fallacy of sunk investment, right? Yes, yeah, it is. I've invested in this for so long that I might as well continue to invest in it, and that's fallacy. I totally understand that mentally, that I do not accept today the premises and patterns and the so, beliefs that I have. I agree. So, so what, what I think we have to do is to take this betrayal seriously uh-huh. and to, in a gestalt way or any other way that works for you, really talk to the part of us that feels betrayed if we change and find out what it needs. Yeah. I keep answering, I need love. <laughs> That's the answer. Whenever I see love... What did you just say that you have a hard time doing is loving yourself and taking care of yourself? Yes. Yes, I need love there. I'm so reluctant. It's okay to hear I need love and to say no, I'm not willing to love you. Right. I was very angry at my hurt little girl. Uh, yes. I, I got over that uh, mentally but probably emotionally and gutsy because it's, it, it happened when I wasn't even articulate, when I couldn't talk. You know, it's like part of my skin and yes. part of my muscles and part yes. of my blood. There are Feldenkrais movements, and you know the Feldenkrais work very well. There are Feldenkrais movements that move our brain back into that preverbal state. And you can... Um, write some affirmations that you could see. You know, I'm thinking especially of laying on your belly and just picking up your upper body and looking around as a very small baby would do. That's a filter in Christ floor exercise that I've done. Yeah, I do that. It feels wonderful. It feels yeah, like and put an affirmation, right? All my life. I am, I am love or I am loved. So that when you when you look around, you see these affirmations, and you let them settle into you, and settle into you emotionally. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to do anything mental about it. I crawl on my floor like a baby. I love that. I love. Oh, the- how wonderful! I love. And again, as you're doing that, um, you know, set the stage for yourself. Right? Get little, you know, sticky notes and drop them on the floor. That says. Love. I am love. Here is love. No, I can't say that because it's not You true. can say that. You absolutely can it's say that. My emotions... The belief, it doesn't have to be true. Yeah. My mind agrees with what you say. But since and this is... And doing this as you're crawling and as you're picking up will change your emotions. You just have to do it. I do it every day, and I think I have to do it more. 
Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying is you need to add the affirmations. I want you to make some big signs that you can prop up where you do your Feldenkrais floor sequences that say something like love or I am love or I am loved. And I want you to get some small pieces of paper that say things like that and to drop them on the floor when you're crawling around. Again, so that you see them. You don't have to pick them up. You don't have to chew them up. It's not a secret message that you have to swallow. But I want it to be there in the background. You know, one of the things that really made me aware of this was I lived with a man who started my day every day with, you You are nothing without me. You are useless without me. Oh, God. And I just thought, little does he know. That's so absurd. That's crazy. But... After years of hearing this, I found I'd been influenced, despite my judgment about it, despite what I thought about it. And that's what I'm asking you to do. But not to say you're useless without me. Just to drop the notes of love here and there and prop them up on the wall so you see them. Nothing more. Just my let are filled with these things. Just let that come in and come into the emotions and let it work its deep and subtle magic. All right. Okay. How about the strength, physical? The same thing? Well, when you say you don't have much physical strength. Yes, yeah. I guess do you mean that it's like mm, hard for you uh, to pick up a package? Oh, definitely. Not only that, standing even without picking up anything. Of mm-hmm. course, I am two hundred mm-hmm. pounds, but I think it's not related directly to my overweight. Yeah, most people don't like to stand. Most people sit down or lay down. I'm trying to do that. Um, I, I mean, I'm in a room with uh, one person who's laying down, one person who's sitting on the floor with their legs stretched out. I'm sitting in a chair. Somebody in the next room is sitting down. Nobody, nobody stands up unless they have to all day. Yeah, but I hear you. You're not feeling like you have what I think of as core strength. Yes, that's a good... One way I yeah. find to build core strength Yes. is to focus on your breath. I do that. I mean... <laughs> and I know you do that. And yeah. really let that breath sink deep down to the pelvic floor and let it activate the energetic core of your body. Yeah. Yes, I started that strongly, and since I didn't see, you know, I need, I, I am impatient. I I wanted in, in a month to see a difference, and uh, maybe there is, but I don't see it. So now I do it now, every time I wait for somebody to pick me up, because I don't have a car, I'm from Manhattan. Good you. Excellent. I, I do breathing, I do breathing. You know, you, yes, and as I say, yeah. breathe into, imagine, if you will, some energetic core in your body 
Many cultures envision it to be within the spine or to either side of the spine or just in front of the spine, but somewhere in that general area rather than like running straight up the middle of the body, more in the back part of the body. But wherever that energetic core feels, wherever you sense it in yourself, to allow the energy both of the breath and from the earth to move into that and to vitalize you from that place. I think of uh, Premit Chodron talking about um, what it was like when she had chronic fatigue. Yeah. And she said the worst of it was how much she shamed herself for it. Um, no, I don't have a lot of that, but I do I am like so me. glad. Yeah. She said, you know, she was always saying to herself, you should do more, you should do better. What, you get up, you know, and brush your teeth, and you have to sleep for an hour. And she said it wasn't until she was really able to compassionately, lovingly accept who she was without reference to what she was able to give. Right, yeah. I agree with that. That she was able to really find where her strength was. Yes. Yes. I. I it, you know, it feels very close to home, you know, because it seems so important what it is that we can give. Yes. I I totally agree with you, and, and I am in touch with that aspect. Yeah. And my self-compassion is very low, no matter how much compassion I can offer to other people. It is as if I am activated by the outside call, not by the inside need. Energy is twisted. And you know where you're going, and you know that it's one step at a time, and you know that it's why they're called practices, because you have to practice and practice and practice. 10,000 hours, right? Yeah, you're right. And I don't want... Well, you know, I understand. But what else is there to do, for goodness sakes? Yeah, uh, I am totally aware that I'm finally in the freedom field of my life in which I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. And I have a lot of time to heal myself. And I am a lot more available to heal others because it comes so-called naturally, and it doesn't feel natural to take care of myself all day long. What a magnificent challenge for you. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's truly worthy of you and your skill. I am my own client. Now I am my own client. (laughs) Not the 9-11, not the Holocaust, not the people who are heartbroken. You know, I'm I'm both my own, uh, the writer and the the publisher, and I often say as the publisher that uh, my writer really, you know, does not pay much attention to deadlines. And as the writer, I say, oh, I'm so glad that I have a publisher who lets me play loose with the deadlines. (laughs) Yeah. I was happy I had an editor that liked what I was writing while I was hating it. I wrote about (laughs) art for 25 years, and I never liked it. She said, now put it in a book. I said, forget about it. Now put anything. I don't want to see it. (laughs) Oh. 
Well, I will say that in the time that I've been talking to you, that one change that I have noticed is that you laugh a lot more. Yes. Your your spirit has found some joy as well as perhaps some um, silliness in all of this. Yes, I feel I feel that you take me in. That's the greatest gift. Yeah, yeah, it is. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Merry Christmas. Good night. The next caller is coming from the four zero one area code. Hi there. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes, we can. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. How about you? Enjoying the weather being not quite so frigid. Yes. I'm in Rhode Island, so we have a little bit of similar weather. So um, I'm going to jump to it because I have three questions written down here. Um, okay. The first one is I have a four-year-old who is, I don't know, I would consider him a picky eater. I can kind of run through the things that uh, he eats basically every day. Um so what do you mean he's a picky to... eater? Um, just resist. Well, it might just be the four-year-old part, but resistant to trying new things. And, you know, we kind of have, I go through these same few things. I have him four days a week. His dad has him three days a week. So I know for me, it's... Here's, here's the bottom line. If you offer your children whole foods, well-cooked vegetables, dried and cooked fruits, whole grains, eggs, meat, dairy products, yogurt. If you're offering your children all of those things, whatever they eat is a balanced diet. Okay. I feel like there's only probably ten things on the list, but they're all good. All ten things are good. But they're all good things. It's Okay. Right, it's all whole foods. It's all whole foods. It's okay. And she doesn't have to be able to pick it either. Okay, I take that back then and I won't label it. It's really okay. I mean, my mom owned restaurants. And she told me, you know, people who would come to her restaurant every day for 25 years and order the same breakfast or the same lunch. Mm -hmm. And perfectly healthy, I'm sure. Absolutely. That's what right. they like to eat, and they were not risk takers. Yeah. I, so walk, I, was, I walk into a, a bakery or a pastry shop with my sweetheart. I know exactly what I want. It is chocolate, and it hopefully has chocolate on it. <laughs> I kind of No problem. I know what I want. <laughs> looking at this and looking at that and asking what the ingredients are because he likes to experiment. And maybe I'm a picky eater and maybe I just like chocolate. Yeah, no, that's true because if I think about my own diet, I kind of rotate through the same thing. We're all picky eaters here. Even the dogs eat the same thing every day. Anyway. Right, you know. Um, yeah. And most, you know, so I was wondering if there was with my family, a, you know, the festive meals were exactly the same meal every year. Right, right. It's true. Yeah. 
Yeah, it gives I us wondered great if there was a nourishing infusion that I could add to that. Uh, Absolutely. Add to his. Yeah. Like the nettles be the go-to? Any way that he wants to drink them is fine. If he wants to drink them with fruit juice or, you know, tea or you whatever, that, you know, ice or hot with honey, whatever works. Yeah. I'm laughing at myself because I literally, I, I just started doing the rotation, and so I started with nettle, and I had a little, it's so dense. I had trouble with that, so I said, oh, I had a little lemon juice to it. So it ended up being like a nettle-aid by the Wow, by the how the nice. Yeah, yeah, that's so why I like it over ice. Everything I'm saying over about I think the ice really enough. brightens it, or if I want it hot, I add miso and make it like a soup. Yeah, hot I like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, okay, great. So would nettles be the go-to one for for him, you know, I, the multivitamin. I think and, that each one of the five herbs in our rotation offers something special. Okay. And what do we want to teach our children about their bodies and their health? I well, think what we want to teach themselves. them is that they can listen to their bodies and trust themselves. Yeah. He does actually do, I mean, we talk about that. Yeah. And, you know, that was very interfered with. When I was a child, because I was told that the adults knew what was going on, and I didn't. And all the adults go to the doctor, (laughs) doctor who is not even in their body. (laughs) Not even in their body. Right, like I was reading this thing, and it said, you know, when this happens to you, your digestion will change. And so what you need to do is to visit a nutritionist who will create a diet just for you. And I think, thought to myself, I said, Wait, wait, wait! What is wrong with this sentence? You've just been told that that things are going to change Somebody for you, and now you're being told to consult an outside expert instead of. So you need to really pay attention to yourself. Okay, but that's that's the way of our culture. It's not like something you've made yeah. up. It's how our culture tells us to do. And and because you love your child. You want to be that expert to take care of your child. And you're not being negligent if you're supplying a variety of good whole foods. Yeah. And I just have to not think about the freaking dad having dinosaur shaped chicken nuggets. <laughs> what? <laughs> Whatever. Get out. We're going to do what we can. He's sneaky. He's bowls of nuts and dried fruit and, you know. Oh, he loves nuts, yes. Right. It's the holiday season. I can't can't complain. I really, I'll never complain about it again. Thank you for setting me straight. You are so welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my next question then would be about fluoride because the doctors are bringing up fluoride um, at his four-year checkup. Um, Uh I mean, I know you're a Sally Fallon fan. I am also in, um, of course, um, the Western A. Price Foundation. So, you know, it's intimidating when the doctor is just looking at you like you're a terrible mother because you you hesitate on supplying fluoride, which we are going to get our water tested to see. Um, but I wanted to put your input on the topic of fluoride. Well, I, you know, it, one of the <clears throat> things um, that I discovered for myself about the Western Price information is um, that I am not an indigenous person eating 
a diet of non-processed foods. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. If I were an indigenous person eating a diet of entirely non-processed foods, <clears throat> I probably wouldn't have to worry about cavities. And insofar as your children are indigenous and eat non-processed foods exclusively, you don't have to worry about fluoride either. Right. Makes sense. But I suspect that they, like all of us, <coughs> have social occasions in which they eat processed foods. Okay. And they're not living outside the way most indigenous people do. Clearly. Have you ever seen a plant that's been grown in a greenhouse? I am a gardener by trade. So All yeah, right. So you know what I mean. You have a very healthy plant that's grown in a greenhouse, but it doesn't have the stuff to stand up to the rain and the sun, you know? Right. When you take home a basil plant for stopping stuff, it's like, what the heck is burning me? Right. Yeah. Right. And it's not like it's a sick plant or a poor plant. Well, we are, you know, we grow up in greenhouses in a way. Right. right. Yeah, that makes sense. And you're going to give those plants in the greenhouse things that the outdoor, you don't get the outdoor plants, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're more vulnerable because they're in the greenhouse. I mean, I, every year I think this is my so insofar as we keep ourselves and our children in greenhouses, and you know I mean that metaphorically, then we need these special things. And it, there's, a, there's a kind of equation that goes along with um, natural medicine and natural healing. And the equation is if you want to do one thing that will help to preserve your children's teeth, you can do that one thing. And if you don't do that one thing, then you will probably need to do dozens of things to repair your children's teeth. Horrible things that I have to have done. Root canals. Right. And neither one is a bad choice. But we all (laughs) tend to want to make it a little easier. What is fluoride? How do we discover that fluoride might prevent cavities? I don't know enough about it. Fluoride is a naturally occurring mineral, which is found in the water in some places in the United States. And someone noticed that the people who live in those places who drank that water had no or very few cavities and said, what is going on here? And they they didn't say this, but we can say it. They're not indigenous people living on right. a non-processed diet. These are hothouse people living on processed foods. How come they don't have cavities? <laughs> right. And the answer was fluoride. Mm-hmm. What a nice it's not something that's made in a lab. 
like most good things, too much of it's bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at this point, fluoride has been used for decades. And the most noticeable side effect has been a reduction in cavities. You know, 100 years ago, it was a rare person who had any teeth left at all beyond the age of 60. Fluoride treatment in modern dentistry has given most of us really good teeth well into our later years. I'm sorry? I said, I guess I can be friends with fluoride. I need to read more. I, you know, I was reading more about the risks than I was about the actual thing. Well, you know, the risks are so minimal. We've seen millions of people over decades using this with virtually no side effects at all, except, as I said, Mm -hmm. the reduction of cavities. I was reading the current Time magazine, and they had a wonderful page on new words that it coined. And one of the new words that I especially liked was COVIDiot. <laughs> Someone whose belief system trumps the facts. Mm-hmm. Where did you read that? That's great. So let's not be COVIDiots. Right. Right. Let's let the facts be the facts. If we choose not to do that, let's choose from clarity. With all the information. I'm choosing to take my children to the dentist at least every six months and have them x-rayed and have all of their cavities filled rather than using fluoride. Are we still connected? Yes. Can you hear me? Right, so that you're making an active choice, right? That you, if you're going to say no to fluoride, then you're going to choose to do diligent dental care with your children. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think. That's and that's what your dentist is trying to say. Yeah. Not that you're a bad parent. We actually haven't been to a dentist. You actually have what? We actually have not been to a dentist yet. It's the pediatrician who. Uh, oh, it's the pediatrician. Okay. Yeah. They talk about. So, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I can see going forward with it more consciously. I'm only getting about every fourth word. I'm sorry. <laughs> I said I'm. I, I can go about it more consciously. Yes, make you make a conscious decision. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to. But I certainly do not um, perceive that uh, that there is very much to risk. Again, the the only risk, the risk is, you know, accidental ingestion of too much. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. And you said you had three questions tonight? Um, that was, well, we that was kind it. of covered okay, two good. in one. I, That's wonderful. Um, I, don't but I, also, I did want to mention that, the you know, I hear the two of you having that difficult conversation at the beginning, and I heard last week's also, and I've had many difficult conversations. 
friends, and I really respect people that can do that and maintain themselves uh, the way that you guys both are, because I I can hear both of you, and I can feel both Neither of you. one of us is a guy. And uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> you gals. So, um, you know, I respect that, that you guys can do that, and, and set a preface for people out there who tend to abandon relationships because of not being able to have our conversation. So, so thank you for you're welcome. Great blessings. Good night. Good night. Great blessings. The next caller is coming from the 619 area code. Hello? Hi. How are you doing tonight? What? What's up with you tonight? I have uh, two things I'd like to get some advice on. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, my wife listens to you almost religiously, and she uh, said that you're the person that I should be going to uh, as you've had this operation. Uh, I have an umbilical uh, hernia, and I've had it um, at least for 30 years. And in the last five years, I've had perhaps three, maybe four situations where I was in pain, and then, you know, I was able to make it go away, and I was fine. However, now um, I've been to a couple doctors that finally have taken notice of the hernia, because I, I brought this up every time I've been to a, a doctor, and they said, does it hurt you? I said, nope. And they were like, okay. Well, so now the doctors are pushing to go ahead and have an operation. And I'm kind of reluctant to go forward with that. But uh, because in the last five years I've had a couple situations, I'd like to get your advice as to what you think about that. I have not dealt personally with an umbilical hernia, but I've dealt with um, uh, hernia down by the groin. Okay. An inguinal hernia, it's called. And um, I had my uh, inguinal hernia for mm, not as long as 40 years, maybe 20 years. And uh, then I suddenly had the sensation as though something were giving way inside me. And I said, oh. This is, right now is when I need to get this repaired because I had resisted and resisted. I said, this is this now needs to be treated. And I researched and what I found is that there is one hospital in Toronto, Ontario, Canada called the Shoal Dice. It's like the first part of shoulder, but ice instead of er. So Shoal Ice. The Schoenweiss Clinic, they do nothing but hernia repair. I would suspect that they are still doing hernia repair, even in the midst of the COVID crisis. Whether or not you'll be able to get over into Canada or not is another deal, but a third of the work they do at Schoenweiss is to repair the repairs done at other hospitals. So I did go to Schuldice, and I did have my inguinal hernia repaired, and it's done under local anesthesia. And you are there for three days, and it was 
as pleasant an experience as being in a hospital can be. And at some point, I will have the inguinal hernia on my other side repaired there. But it's not yet telling me that that needs to be done, but I'll know when it does. I'm not sure that you're best served by doing something because somebody else wants you to, unless you're ignoring something that someone else is seeing and suggesting that you pay attention to, which it doesn't sound like in this case. It sounds like you're in touch with that, you know what's going on, you're paying attention to your body, and if it should come to the point where it needs surgical repair, and hopefully we're, we wouldn't let it get to the point where it's an emergency, then you would say, okay, this is the year when I'm going to get in touch with Shoulder Clinic and I'm going to move forward on this. When, whenever that will be, and it may not ever be, but you'll know when the time is, is correct, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm reluctant because I, I you know, I, the, I identify what caused the situations and I understand how to relieve the situations and the doctors have given me some information as to what to be aware of if it's a serious issue that I should take care of immediately. And um, I, I'm kind of not feeling it's a necessary thing. It's, uh, is, there, is there anything that I can do um, verbally or practically to make this better or at least make it a little, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say easy or anything. Not, that, not that I know of. Okay. The, the muscle tissue has separated. Right. And it's allowing intestine to poke through there. The stronger that muscle tissue is, the less it will poke through, which you found out. When I, you know, went into the clinic and I was first examined, the doctor said, well, this is such a small hernia. Why are you having it repaired? And I said, you'll see. And when I came out of surgery, they said, OMG, girl, that was the biggest hernia we've seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. But they couldn't tell from the outside because I have good muscle tone. All right, but I felt I felt where that where that place had torn. It just like kind of tore some more, and I went, "Ah, oh, all right." Up until that point, you know, my muscle tone had kept it from tearing, but you know, there was a, a trauma that happened. Well, and it doesn't always happen through trauma. Mm-hmm. So if you're not in any discomfort, if you guts are not spilling out and your muscles are in good tone, then you're in a good situation. You didn't turn yourself into the emergency room before you were able to deal with it before. Mm-hmm. And that's the primary thing is that you, you want to be in charge of when the hernia is repaired, not being rushed into an emergency room. Right. That, that's what's bothering me is it seems like you got to do it, you got to do it. And I'm like, Wait, why? I, right. I understand, yes. So, I mean, you could even get in touch with Shoulder's Clinic now. You don't have to make an appointment. Get in touch with them. Find out what they're about. See if you like them or not. Well, okay, that's a good idea. 
Um, can I ask a, a small question? I, um, my wife and I are very, we have many, many herbs. My wife makes a lot of tinctures and herbal extracts. And she's always giving a lot of teas for me to drink, and they do help. they're very helpful. Matter of fact, uh, since doing all this, I'm completely free of medications. Um, we, I'm a, I've been made a true believer in comfrey, and uh, do you, would you think there'd be any advantage to, you know, comfrey oil, um, hot oil um, massaging to it and, and drinking it? I think it's a great idea. Is it going to repair your hernia? Mm, if it does, let me know you're on to something. Okay, I will. Okay. <laughs> Yay. We're just starting today. Yeah. Oh, how so wonderful. Long. I'm so glad that uh, you are both benefiting from all of the green blessings around you. I really enjoy uh, your creativity and your uh, your delight in it. Well, she, she convinced me when uh, I have a, a football injury from high school, and I'm, you know, 72 now, and working in a 10-acre farm, one day it just decided it didn't want to do all this pressure work that I was getting. Uh, she said, let's put some oil on it, some comfort oil on it. And uh, that was about two, maybe three years ago, and my knee still feels better than it ever has been. So that was a, a, a big body. It was a big awakening. Yes, hard to be on a farm if your knees are not cooperating. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, my other question is on stress. Yes. Uh, um, we are presently caretaking for my mother-in-law. She has dementia. And it's a very big challenge. Um, and it's uh, turned out to be a lot more stressful than we anticipated. And you know, it's starting to push me back into that um, high blood pressure area that I may need to go back on to medication. Do you have any recommendations other than Hawthorne and uh, uh, what is that? Hawthorne and I take Tico. So are are you saying that you're currently taking some form of Hawthorne? Yes. Mm -hmm. And what form of Hawthorne are you using? It's a tincture. Tincture of the? Berries. The berries? Hawthorne berries, yeah. I'm sorry, did you say something and berries? Uh, it's the Hawthorne berries, and naturally it's made uh, soaked in um, vodka, 100 proof vodka, for six to eight weeks prior to starting it. Um, you know, in general, I mean, able to hear enough of what you're saying to kind of get the gist, but now it's so specific that the words I'm missing are really making it impossible for me to quite understand. I think what you're saying is that you're using some mixture of different herbs and that Hawthorne yeah. is one of them. Yes. Yes. All right. Um, so I prefer to use the herbs one at a time. So it's difficult when you're taking a mixture of herbs to get enough of the ones that you need a lot of without getting too much of the ones that you need a little of. Okay, yeah. I get it. Yeah, so Hawthorne Berry Tincture, just the 
simple, just Hawthornberry tincture. Um, if you find your blood pressure creeping up, you could take up to three dropperfuls of that twice a day. But I don't know if you could take that much of the mix of herbs that you have. And different people will respond. Different people will respond to different herbs somewhat differently. Hawthorne is considered to be the nourisher of all aspects of the heart, but especially the power of the heart. And that Hawthorne helps the heart to circulate oxygenated blood better. As a matter of fact, um, your mother, grandmother, the person that you're caring for who has dementia, would probably benefit enormously from Hawthorne because of that. Okay, that's good. Some yeah, more. and again, just, yeah. just the tincture of Hawthorne. It's pretty easy to buy Hawthorne berries. Fill any jar about a third full of the dried hawthorn berries and then fill the jar right to the top with 100 proof vodka. It can't be 80 proof, it has to be 100 proof vodka, but not 100 thin, just 100 proof. And shake it up for a few days so the berries take it into the vodka and let it sit for as long as possible. You can start using it after six to eight weeks. I mean, it's, the longer it sits, the stronger it gets. Okay. And that, that just costs you pennies. Uh, most places you can get a liter of 100 prusaka for $30 or less. And a pound of hawthorn berries. I'm merely going to be using a quarter of it to make a, a liter, you know, with a liter of tincture, um, is running about $20, So. So even if you were to use all of it and you're only using a quarter of it, you would still make 32 ounces of tincture for $50. Okay. And when you consider that most tinctures that you go out and buy run between 8 and $15 per one ounce, and when you make your own Hawthorne Berry tincture, you're paying less than $2 an ounce. Right. Right? So I urge people to do that. You can you know, buy some to to tide you over till the six weeks is done. Um, or can, you know, take out whatever you have left of the other thing. Motherwort is another herb that can really be helpful for people with hypertension. But Hawthorne really increases the strength of the heart and how well the heart can circulate. The motherwort really calms the nervous system, and often the nervous system is translating its uptightness to the blood vessels and making the blood vessels uptight, and that's what's causing the hypertension. So the motherwort calms that all down and makes it okay. And you don't need to take quite so much motherwort. Hawthorne, after all, is related to cherries and apples, big fruits, so we usually eat a lot of them. But motherwort is in the mint family, so it's something we just use a little bit of. And you can use a tincture of the motherwort. You can't make it from the dried motherwort, um, so you'll need to buy it. But you do want it made from the fresh motherwort. Catskill Mountain Herbal Cells. Tincture of fresh motherwort in 100 proof vodka. Um, and Red Moon Herb Cells. Tincture of fresh motherwort, um, but in grain alcohol. So those are two sources that I know of that absolutely use fresh motherwort. And then there's passiflora, passion flower, the leaves and blossoms 
of, yes, the vine that gives us passion fruit. And that is for um, people who literally are weary at heart, who are downhearted, who feel as though their heart needs wings. And passion flower, again, is the vine from fruit, so we can use a fair amount of it, a dropper full, or two, two or three times a day. You do not need all three of these herbs. What I suggest people do is think about you know, what you really need. Do you need more strength? Do you need more calming to your nerves? Do you need more freedom and expansiveness? Start there and work with that herb. And work with that herb on a daily basis for three months, for 90 to 100 days. If right away you know it's not suiting you and you're not allies, then of course stop. But if you can't tell, and many people can't, I don't really know if it's doing anything or not, and that's a perfectly reasonable thing to say, um, then you know, keep at it for that 100 days. And then stop, and then see what happens. Okay. Yeah. Does that well, help you uh, make a decision about some herbs to help with your blood pressure? Well, yeah, I, I take all those now, um, the motherboard and the uh, hawthorn. But just like you're saying, I, I take them in combination. So I have the hawthorn, the motherboard, the ginkgo, uh, a dandelion, uh, stuff that we make from our herbs here on our, um, our farm. We make them ourselves. Yeah. And they've been excellent for me for the last four, four years. So, so you're, what, what, I hear, I'm, what I hear you saying is I should decide on which of those that I should concentrate on and then stop taking the others for this period of time and just concentrate on that one herb, whether I want the strength or the calming. Exactly. Let's compare it to dating and then getting married. Okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> you play the field for a while, you kind of see what's out there, and then you settle down on one. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Exactly, right? All right. Okay. That's right. Good. All right. Thank you okay. very much. I appreciate it. Also, good my, my faith in our decisions are good for doing the herbs and everything. It's really been a big help. So. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Oh, goodness, suddenly you're so clear. How oh, wonderful. Good night. Good blessings. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 845 area code, and please make sure you've pressed 1 to speak with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hello. Nice to hear your voice. How are you tonight? What's up? Um, well, I want to talk about my grandson, and before I get to the herbal part, <laughs> I just want to say how overwhelmed I feel with emotion, um, good and bad. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, uh, out of touch with experience with a baby, um, my son is 34 years old. He's a single parent. And um, uh, I know 
so much more than I did when I had him. So I feel overly concerned and I don't want to be overbearing uh, with him, but um, I feel challenged uh, trying to uh, get what I believe is the best things for this baby. So um, I... I feel that I need to be a little bit more remote in my approach um, because he doesn't understand my wisdom. Uh, I'm not really up for the challenge. It kind of mixes badly in my soul with how the joy I feel. And I uh, feel a little bit like a yo-yo almost, um, with uh with with everything um i i know he truly believes in everything i've done for him uh as a baby and a child and he thanks me for it but for some crazy odd reason he feels uh compelled to go outside of of my knowledge and seek authority from people um, like uh, just like whatever, you know, like a regular pediatrician and uh, whatever they say to do, that's the law. You know, he's, he's afraid. I would say he's afraid of making a mistake and I think he's afraid of being a failure and I think he feels safe uh, by if they tell him to do something, then it's not his fault if something goes amiss. And I'm really not sure how how to uh, have, have a a good, good, good uh, communication with him because of, of, of that challenge right there. And, um, the issue at large, I would say, is because um, the mother ran ran off. Um, I um, she um, brought her new boyfriend with her, who she ran off to do drugs with. So the baby was born um, addicted to drugs. Uh, not severely because they did, um, well, the story is they let the baby go home without realizing it. Uh, she was in room. Is uh, these to, opiates we're talking about? Yes. Yes. Painkillers. So, yes. The baby only came home from foster care where he has spent his entire life so far. Um, he's 10 weeks old. I met him a week ago. Um, the court uh, awarded him custody. He had to prove himself paternity because she lied to everybody and said this drug boyfriend was the father, gave the baby his last name. So it was a challenge to get through the courts. 
So my son is already frazzled from that experience right there. And actually, he just really helped me figure something out. How do I help my son? How how can I help my son calm down? It's almost like he has lost his ability to uh, uh, use logic. Um, he's so uh, edgy and um, and frightened, and he's not used to being a caregiver, so he's not used to having his own way and his own time for himself. And everything I, 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 I say to him, he, 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 he gets very agitated, like, I'm not you, you know, because I tell him, like, you know, you, you can do this, you know. I know it seems hard in the beginning not having time for yourself. Um, it's, it's almost embarrassing to say, but on the second day, uh, I told him, I'm not doing the heavy lifting. I'll, I'll be your cheerleader. I'll be your guide. But, you know, you have to learn and, and practice, the, you know, what's necessary. And um, I said, the baby is wet, and I think he's hungry. Please come get the baby. The baby was crying. And he said, well, Daddy's got to eat first. And, you know, Uh-oh. I almost blew a gasket. Yes, this is what I'm dealing with. And when I try to correct him, he he attacks me. He thinks I'm attacking him. And I've explained to him as best as anyone can that I am not doing that and that, you know, anybody would need guidance. And if if you want to do your best, then you need to trust the person who cares the most, the grandmother. And I'm, And I'm wise and I know a lot. And the comments he's saying are just blowing my mind. So I, I feel like I need to, some, I don't know if it's wise to distance myself and just communicate through texting. I, I don't even feel comfortable having a well, how, conversation. How close do you live to each other? Um, five miles. We're both in Woodstock. So close. Yes. I mean, I've offered to stay there, um, but then I realized I can't do that because he is going—he's going to kill me with this attitude. Like I'm—I'm I'm old. You I also can't cannot it. stay there if what you want is for him to do the heavy lifting. Right. Exactly. exactly. You really can't. No. If you I, want I him to do the heavy that. lifting, you're going to have to let him drop the ball occasionally. That's what I did come to the conclusion of, yes. Yeah. And I think the kid will survive it. Well, that's what he said. He'll survive. And and I had to tell myself tonight, he'll survive. Yes, I mean, my son's not a complete idiot, you know. And he's not abusive. You know, any woman would feed the child before she fed herself, for sure. He can eat before he feeds the child. It's just a different way of doing it. Okay. All right. All right. That set aside, though, I can clearly... I mean, he's not actively hurting the child. He's not making the child be a, a vegan. He's not letting the child no. sob uncontrollably in its no. room. Do you remember Dr. Spock? Excuse Dr. me? Dr. Spock said children should only be 
Babies should only be picked up and fed every four hours. And if they cry, they're just manipulating you. Ignore them. And you believe that? I'm telling you, this was the culture of parenting in the 50s. Dr. Spock was the big guru on how to parent. And that's what all parents were told. I had the Dr. Spock book. Right. um, I don't believe it. And you didn't believe it. And that's why Dr. Spock isn't around anymore. And why your son is not putting his baby down and letting him scream. And I am saying that nonetheless, despite Dr. Spock, all those babies survived. Okay, so I did tell myself the baby will survive. The baby is strong despite his uh, early challenges. Yes. And the baby is now um, withdrawn from the opiates? Oh, yes. Um, Okay. Like I said, they didn't even um, take the baby into hospital care or anything. They just put it into foster care with, uh, like, a specialist who knows how to deal with uh, premature um, and, uh, you know, uh, I guess they didn't think it was, they didn't find any sign. In in other words, they let the baby go home and and didn't even realize until they looked at the blood work that there was drugs in the baby system. And they found drugs in the mother system, too. So not only did she deliver the baby on drugs, but she had her boyfriend bringing her drugs and was getting high in the hospital, left high. So that's why they took the baby. Well, usually in the hospital, you don't have to have your boyfriend bring you drugs. You just have to ask your doctor for them. Well, she's not that smart. I I don't know if you heard me last week going on about, you know, talking to Astrid, um, my wonderful no, past apprentice, um, who's a midwife, you know, and we were reading a bunch of articles about the huge numbers of prescriptions for opioids that are given to pregnant women. I'm wow. saying you don't have to get your boyfriend to bring you drugs. Your doctor will prescribe them for you if you're pregnant or lactating or giving birth. Really? Unfortunately. That's amazing. I can't even get them. <laughs> right? Wow. Antipsychotic medications? I mean, the, the numbers oh. of prescriptions are soaring that doctors wow. are giving out to pregnant women. We're just looking at this and just shaking our heads and going, how can this be? You know? How can and, this be? And, you know, be? what yeah. topics do we have to deal with? Well, yes, we have to deal with babies who are going through opioid withdrawal when they're born because their mothers were given painkillers. Oh, wow. I'm so sad to hear that. I just don't know what to say. It's a difficult world that we live in, and I'm glad. And your grandson is, what's his name? His name is Hunter. Hunter. (laughs) So um, what I want you to do is to find a way to be Hunter's grandmother. And you know, when I became a grandmother, I went around and I asked everybody, I I said, oh, new thing, grandmother, never been a grandmother before, what do I do? Right, that's how I feel. (laughs) Right? So ask people, and I got great answers, but to sum them up, what I was told was being a grandmother means you're to be the bringer of joy into that child's life. You are not responsible for the diapering or the feeding or the doctoring 
or any of that. You can be there as support and help, but your responsibility is joy. I kind of came to that conclusion. Thank you for backing me up on on my uh, conclusion. Yes. On that. So I can do that. And, in fact, I was doing that. I mean, it just came naturally. Of course I, it I, does. I totally understood that that must be my role because it it comes so easy. Yes. Just, just bubbling out of me. <laughs> and I could clearly see as well what a great comfort I was to the baby who would not sleep more than 45 minutes on his own, but on my chest slept three hours. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Oh, my goodness. How wonderful. So let's just go right fast forward here now. And um, the baby had... Let's because we only have a few minutes. Uh, Yeah, the baby had colic. And uh, so I brought over... Uh, a quart of oat straw infusion, and I fed it to the baby, and it did wonders for the gas. No more gas. And I was wondering, can he have all of the five infusions? Yes. I thought so. I feel just, I just wanted to double check because, uh, you know, who, you know, who knows? Uh, and I'm not diluting them like the Internet says to do. And the baby just loved it. And the baby seems better off for it. So is it okay? What Internet is telling you to dilute them? Oh, all, all the uh, all the baby, you know, sites say, okay, it's okay to give them the herbal you know, they, uh, teas, but, you know, do it oh, at a week. This isn't a tea. It's an infusion. Teas contain poisons. Infusions don't. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I, in fact, I told him, don't dare break out a tea bag and, right. and then make tea and give him that. I did tell him that because he was going to do the chamomile. And I said, if you're going to do it, you have to get the loose tea and make the infusion. Do not make infusion of chamomile. You can really hurt yourself. Okay. Do not make an that. infusion of any scented herb. Oh, right. It's a mint. Yeah. Right? No. It's not, not a mint. mint, but it is scented. Okay. Oh. Okay, that's good to know. And that's all that's all I really wanted to know. So you like, wouldn't make an infusion of eucalyptus? No, of course not. Chamomile or any strongly scented herb. Think about the herbs we make infusions of. Nettle, no scent. Oat straw, no scent. Red clover, no scent. Comfrey, no scent. Yeah. Linden, You're right. Linden, when it's fresh and it's blooming, has a wonderful scent. But when it's dried, it really doesn't have a scent at all. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yep, so okay. that... It helps us be safe. I really want to All right, it has go. been wonderful talking to you. Oh, and Thank you, Susan. You can always call back, but now I want to introduce okay. my guest. Thank you so much. Good All night. right. My guest is Anna Lux. She was born a few years before World War II broke out in the Netherlands. Her family immigrated to South Africa couple of years after I was born in 1948, where she received both a high school diploma and her medical degree, where she specialized in internal medicine and moved 
to the United States in 1963 and to upstate New York in 1967, a year after I had Justine and opened her family practice as a single mom. About 10 years later, in 1978, at the age of 42, and lack of holistic viewpoints in healing caused her to decide to focus on alternative medicine. Her development from this point was created by herself, followed by herself. Following her own leanings, she found the philosophy of Rudolf Steiner, who played an important role, especially because of the knowledge of healing. When we undergo a disease, was a tutorial subject in many of his lectures. Dr. Lupps knows that healing must incorporate the earth, the plant, and the human being. And that when we come back to health, we have to incorporate the vitality of nature. One of the wonderful choices that she made when she decided to practice was to have a holistic practice at a holistic place, which is a farm as a therapeutic environment. Now, at this stage of her profession, with the help of new technology, the next phase of Dr. Lupp's life is to pass on and share what she has learned in her long service to all of us. Welcome to the show. I love you, Anna. Hello there. Hi, hi. So So I'm very happy to um, be on your show, and uh, I will give my impressions on the last hour even if you want me to. Certainly. (laughs) You know, it's so interesting that you and I are similar in this idea that the consumer of health is capable of making his own his or her own choices and that we really need to be conscious as to what choices we are making and you know uh, the consumer so that actually is concerning everybody young and old as we are old enough to make our choices Uh, can either be active or passive. And I can see that the people who are asking for your advice are really active. They have done their research. They are doing the therapies that you're suggesting or that are available out of the realm of the plant kingdom. And, uh, you know, Uh, the mandates that are going to be handed down to us from the people who know better, including the government, are going to really disrupt these choices. And uh, what, what is, of course, a sword above our heads is fear. And the fear of the person who is passive is, of course, dominant. One who, the the consumer who has the courage and say, no, 
I'm not going to take part in all of these medications, therapy, their therapeutic, the pharmaceutical uh, uh, medications, or I'm not going to take part in all of these diagnostic uh, investigations. I really feel within myself these are the things that I need to do. And that they have somebody like you is really a wonderful thing. So I have learned a lot from listening to you the last hour. So this is nice to meet you that way, Susan. It is so nice to have you see me that way since our relationship up until now has been my being the patient and you offering your gifts to me. I think that probably a lot has changed over the past 50 years since you began practicing. Could you talk to us about that? Yeah, and you know that is so shocking for me. So uh, after 50 years in practice, what what has happened is it's actually a nightmare. And I often think, you know, there are so many people yet that are looking in the past and say, look what has happened. Uh, look what has happened on the, on the level of uh, our, the value of our money or the value of our sentiments towards the family and our sentiments towards friends. Uh, look what has happened uh, at uh, the value of our freedom. And I... I sense that um, instead of saying what, uh, or instead of just listening to what's happening and shrugging my shoulders, and I say, well, I probably won't have much to do with it anymore in the future, I feel that if we are able to grasp what is really needed, I think that especially the females or the younger women can make a tremendous difference. Let me give you a little bit of an example. When I became a mother, not only was I discouraged to breastfeed, I, the child was taken away from me, and he was fed in the nursery, and I could not see him. They kept me they, they kept me separate separate from him. Now, of course, I made a big stink. <laughs> so <laughs> finally, <laughs> my my son was the only one that was wheeled into <laughs> into my uh, room. And at that time, in the sixties, the mid sixties, we still. Um, had uh, a longer term in the hospital. So I was in the hospital for three days. Now, that trauma, may I say, uh, I reenacted in my thoughts for a long, long time. And so when I was in practice in the rural area upstate, I admired the young woman who chose home birth. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I did not have a home birth, and if they had offered me a home birth or if I had thought of it, I would have said no. And why would I say no? Well, it's not safe. These are all the indoctrinations that we are receiving when we are studying. And then they, they, the the young woman or the woman, the middle or the the, the pregnant mother, said, "No, I am adamant. I will have home birth." Now, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> you know, you have to think of it. And I said, "You know, they are very courageous." And you know what I need to do? I need to help them in that decision. I need be there to help them. And they did help me. So it was a dynamic that went both ways. Now you remember what what a problem it was when the mother wanted to breastfeed. She wanted to breastfeed on the plane. She wanted to breastfeed on the train. And there were big problems with that. <laughs> now it's nothing. But you see how it was enacted and how it became born as a consciousness is through our younger woman. And I will not forget that. And I wonder, you know, how much also your uh, adamant of saying, you have a choice, you need the courage, you need to do it, and that more of our uh, clients, our customers, our uh, consumers are women. Mm. And maybe that they are older, and there is the grandmother, and there is the mother of an older man, and there are all of these older women, and they should never forget that they have made the change in the 70s and the 80s. <laughs> that is beautiful. You thank it? you. Oh, thank you. Wow, such gratitude. So yeah, you, we you, help were each tra- other. you were trained in what many people call conventional medicine. And you decided, after practicing conventional medicine, that that didn't suit you. Can you tell us some more about that and what you discovered? Yeah, of course, but you know there's a need. And that is something that, that is, uh, the, the need is not the physician or the healthcare professional. The need comes out of the people, but they have to be able to stand uh and say, I am courageous enough, you know. I am really investigating what is being suggested uh, as far as my choices uh, is concerned. And, you know, uh, that will be listened to. But the impulse, of course, that drives us today is fear. And what do you think of that? I think that human beings really like being afraid. I'm not sure why, 
But I see that horror movies make a lot of money and that people call it entertainment when they're being frightened. It doesn't appeal to me, but I, but I see that it appeals to, to large segments of the population. And, of course, um, our bodies are what we're living in all of the time, and it's a good place um, to be afraid. Mm-hmm. And modern medicine um, has basically defined itself, you know, as the, the medicine of fear because it doesn't even have a proactive definition of health. Health is the absence of disease. Well, that means we have to fear disease all the time. Yeah. Do you think people are more afraid now than they were, say, 25 or 30 years ago? And I'm not just talking about COVID. Certainly people are afraid of COVID, but I mean more generally. In general, yeah, but that is uncertain uh, decay. <laughs> and I wouldn't say decay, but it is a certain... Uh, uh, it, is an, 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 it is not an evolving uh, sentiment. Uh, you know, it's... It, it, something that we really need to be able to uh, uh, evoke in the consumer a living picture of what the medical model should look like. Not what it looks like today, but what it should look like in the future. And, you know, if we think about it, it is an image. And that image is a triangle with equal sides and equal corners. And mm. Mm. Right? That is a picture. And then yeah. in the middle we have a circle. <laughs> and that's the consumer. <laughs> and, and each corner... Especially the, the the upper corner, we put down the physician, hmm. and in the right corner, we put the therapeutic modality, mm-hmm. and in the left corner, we we put down the diagnostic modality. Mm. Now. Okay. What is it that we are expecting from the physician? The physician, as I have learned it, somebody who can stand on the right hand of the patient, right side of the patient, and puts his hand or her hand on the belly or the chest or the head, whatever ails, whatever is diseased, whatever has pain. And when we put that hand on the belly, we say to ourselves, what ails thee? What ails thee? And we are silent for a minute, two minutes, and we will hear the answer. Okay, so we would hear the answer of a woman 
who has menstruated for four months. She is 48 years old. And then we can, instead of going to a healthcare worker who says, we will do an x-ray, or we will, yeah, we will do a lab work, the, the answer of the hand being held by the physician mm. is there is a tumor on the ovary. Mm. So that is in that tuition is eliminated with the modern physician. Now some of the physicians have it. Automatic they're born with it. It, it happens maybe if there are doctors in the family, they have it. But are they really being given the time? Or are they also like the healthcare worker? <laughs> Not really making a correct diagnosis, but that is using either the therapeutic modality or it is using the diagnostic modality immediately. <laughs> because otherwise, if they make a mistake, they are going to lose their job. <laughs> so the same is with the therapeutic modality. The therapeutic modality is very much what has been pushed is the pharmaceutical companies. And the natural science has been ignored. And yet, in the natural substance versus the synthetic substance, we see so many advances. It is much more advantageous uh, being self-medicating on natural substances as long as they know what they are doing. And then we have the whole arcana of homeopathy. And so that that is also a very interesting phenomena is where the uh, man in 1800, the Dr. Hahnemann, found out that likes cures likes. Now, uh, and but the the homeopathic remedies really were prescribed by the physicians until the pharmaceutical companies pushed them out of that work. So that's quite interesting. But it is so important to recognize that the pharmaceuticals are potentially very dangerous. And the reason that they are is because they are foreign to the natural body. Foreign. They're not being excreted enough, but as much as the therapeutic substances are foreign, also what is given to us in the last 50 years in our food is foreign. So you see that <laughs> it, we are being poisoned. If it is not by Monsanto or about poisons in our food, or poisons in our 
our fresh food, our vegetables, and our fruits. It is the uh, substances that are added to our prescribed or our uh, packaged food. <laughs> <laughs> so you are telling that to them. <laughs> well, it's you know it's very interesting, Doctor Anna, that both you and I. You know, you heard me talk to you know to the to the grandma who was upset because dad was going to eat before the child. But in a way, you and I have also made that decision because we we both said, okay, we want to be of service to others, but first we have to establish ourselves on farms so that we can have the best quality food. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly, so that we can truly be of service. Because if I'm not eating the best food, I'm not going to be a very good service. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's um and I mean Anna's farm totally outdoes mine. She has cows and and all it's a big it's like a farm. I just have a little homestead. But you have like a real farm there with hay fields and everything. It's beautiful, beautiful. Justine yeah. and I were just, you know, talking about coming up and she says, Oh, I always love going to Anna's because I get such a healing feeling just from being at the farm. Yeah, and but you know, uh, Susan um, we need to put our money where our mouth is. <laughs> it must be followed. Our, our 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 advice must be must lead to our own life being example for our patients or whoever wants to hear. You know, I can say don't drink or don't smoke, and I do that myself. You see what I'm saying? So uh, they, 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 whenever you uh, you stand, you are in the role, or you assign yourself the role as teacher. You need to follow through. You must follow through. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and and. And what you create in your life will come back to you in yes. tenfold, tenfold. I often say that when you're um, a novice, what you put out comes back to you three times. And then as you get better, it comes back to you ten times. And then you get really get some skill, it starts coming back to you a hundred times. And when you're at the at the level that you are on, a, what you put out comes back to you a thousandfold, you know? And so you learn to be very careful about what you put out. Yeah. Because yeah. you see it coming right back at you, right between the eyes. Bam, there it is. And I don't, I, I don't know if you heard me, but it bears repeating. What you did for me is what I did for other people, which was to say, it's not your truth, Susan. That's your belief, and you can change it. Yeah. Um I, that was that that's the reason I'm right here alive today because you did that for me. Oh, because you yes. said, "Look, girl, your belief system is going to wind you up dead." Yeah. And yet, uh, you know, it it we need to be so patient. Uh we need to have patience with the people that we are meeting. Because they're very sensitive. And what I appreciate in the 
one hour that I listen to you is that you are quite, not quite, you are very sensitive and you know how to listen to the people who call in for advice. You don't interrupt them. You are, uh, knowing you this way is a real boost for me. And I will remember that when I become despondent about what is happening on mm. the medical in the medical field mm. with many people. Dr. Anna, it's as though from the very beginning that you held a special vision of my future that I wasn't yet tall enough to see. Yeah. And you held that for me until I could grow up enough to see it and to reach out for it. Yes. But that is one thing, Susan, that's not only me. It is a woman coming together, supporting each other, and know that they can make a difference. And that is very, very important for the future. I'm looking only towards the future. Mm-hmm. We and those that are our children, the women are going to carry the future with the new generation. Yes, that's so True. The women literally carry the future and bring it into being, into existence here so that that, those great traits that I was talking about of humanity, our ability to work together in very large groups and to say, that's how it's always been done, but let's find a new way. Yeah. It's hard to believe that we've been talking already for half an hour and then our time is just about up. Do you want people to be able to get in touch with you and with uh, Peloroma Farm? Yeah, Peloroma Farm at gmail.com. Let me spell that, everybody. That's P-L-E-R-O-M-A. Peloroma Farm, F-A-R-M. P-L-E-R-O-M-A Farm at gmail.com. If you want to learn more about what's going on at the farm and with Dr. Lups, and we've come to that wonderful last minute of our time together tonight. I'll be seeing you soon. And um, a question that I always ask last is, what do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's been listening to you tonight? Um. That whatever faces us in the next, even in the next six weeks, whatever we come, what we have to experience, what is being put in front of us to digest, do not overcome, do not be overcome with fear. Mm -hmm. 